Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, I got to connect with a very special female leader and we shared stories of uh, spending time in the Grand Canyon, doing hikes and things, uh, just to give you a little bit of background about her personal life. But I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Pam Schweitzer, former uh, Chief Pharmacy Officer for the United States Public Health Service. But before we get into the episode, I want to remind you that my book is now available on Amazon. Go check out how pharmacists lead answers from women who are leading, succeeding, and impacting pharmacy. It's a great book dedicated to women in pharmacy leadership. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Rear Admiral Pamela Schweitzer, who retired in September of 2018 from a four-year term as the Assistant Surgeon General and 10th Chief Pharmacist Officer of the United States Public Health Service. As Chief Pharmacist Officer, she's the first female in this role. Rear Admiral Schweitzer was responsible for providing leadership and coordination of more than 1,300 public health service pharmacy officers in 13 agencies with the Office of Surgeon General and the Department of Health and Human Services. Of her 29-year career in federal service, she most recently served at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Previously, she served in assignments in the Indian Health Service and the Veterans Health Administration. Rear Admiral Schweitzer has a wide variety of experiences with developing clinical programs and managing large projects. While at CMS, she worked with states on modernizing their Medicaid eligibility and enrollment systems, drug pricing, and public health. And at her time with Indian Health Service, she was the national transformation lead for transitioning from paper to electronic medical records and the national lead for the IHS-VA mail-out partnership involving the IHS or Indian Health Service transferring prescription refill workload to the VA Consolidated Mail Outpatient Pharmacy, CMOP, and implementing processes to improve health in the healthcare system. Since retiring, she continues to work on a number of public health-related projects involving uh, or improving health and access to healthcare in rural communities, interoperability, and reimbursement for clinical services. Um, she has her bachelor's degree in biological sciences from California State University Ful- Fullerton, earned her PharmD from the University of California San Francisco School of Pharmacy, and completed an ambulatory care and administrative residency at the University of California Irvine Medical Center. She has been recognized with numerous leadership contributions, including APHA's Distinguished Federal Pharmacist Award, uh, the USPHS Mary Louise Anderson Leadership Award, IHS Senior Pharmacist of the Year, um, American Society of Health System Pharmacists, William Zelmer Lecture Award, National Council for Prescription Drug Program Champion Award, and the Surgeon General Exemplary Service Medal, um, and many, many others. Uh, Rear Admiral Schweitzer 
we are so honored. Thank you. And welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, first of all, thank you, Hillary. And God, that was a long intro. So anyway, thank you so much for <laughs> so having me. So accomplished. No, no, no. Thank you so much for having me today. Appreciate it. And I always love talking about the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. Well, we're really excited to learn more and to share with our listeners. And now that they've heard a little bit about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or share a little bit about your personal life. So I, oh, the the personal life I'll get to. So I'm, I'm uh, married. I have a husband who's been with me the whole, you know, we've been together on this journey the whole time. And we have two children. They're grown. Uh, One our son, who's older, is a nurse, and he uh, lives and works in California. And our son, our daughter, she has her degree, and she worked in public health, if you can believe it, um, but a little bit different, li- different angle than I am. And she's a mother of two children, so we have two grandchildren now. And then, as far as uh, you know, filling in the gaps, you actually captured it. It captured it really well. Uh, probably the only piece is that we moved around somewhere. There was a lot of mobility and they're moving, moving our home and moving different places around the country. So uh, we have, you know, that experience. And in, and, and in the position of national positions, I was able to travel quite a bit around our country. So, you know, yeah. supporting public health. Wow. Um, so you uh, first, you know, let's maybe just talk a little bit about what, of course, what is public health and then how does one, particularly a pharmacist, get into the commission core or the, the public health service? Um, maybe we can start there and then dive into some of the different agencies that you've had, you know, the experience working with along the way. Right. So I'll first I'll talk a little bit and I'll, I'll kind of go back a little bit, even talking about early in my career too, because I didn't really understand what public health was at the time when I kind of came out of school. I actually was recruited into the public health service and I went to my first place was a really remote place. It's called Pine Ridge. It was in South Dakota. And shortly after I got there, the hospital administrator said, uh, Pam, would you be interested in being the health promotion Z- disease prevention coordinator? So of course I had no idea what that was, but I was like, you know, energetic and so I said, sure, I'll do that. So they sent me off to training. And what I really learned is about the, about changing the, um, I'm going to say changing the culture, cha- working together with the community members. It wasn't about the healthcare system and what we wanted. It was about listening to the community and helping them to implement their programs, whatever they were. And it was them taking the lead on this. So I learned right off the bat how to, I call it lead from behind. So because it it was really important for the community to decide. So what was important to them was getting control over their tuberculosis. They had tuberculosis mm-hmm. coming up. They had hepatitis A in the community. So this is everybody working together to solve solve these problems. And, and it wasn't just the, the health facility and the physicians and the nurses. That was the, that was the, not the group that did it. It was the community and it was us supporting the community. So I, I learned right away, oh, this is public health. And then now everybody, does public health without even realizing it. I mean, right now we're smack in the middle of a of the pandemic and it and we're involved in doing the vaccinations. And so later on vaccinations, we got involved in that too. But 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 
I would say everybody now is trained in tobacco cessation. They do immunizations. That's all public health. All of the HIV prep, you know, just anything that's prevention, um, the hormonal contraception, that's all public health. And, and, and it's, it's sort of everywhere now, um, but it wasn't necessarily back, back that way now or beforehand. Yeah. And so yeah. for recruitment, I will tell you right now, they're recruiting. It's, it's sort of, um, when I say challenging to get in, it's not, it's more, you have to be persistent <laughs> is what it really is. So if there's a website, um, and I probably should, I don't know what off the top of my head, if you just Google it, they would say to apply now. And then there's all these questions and it's really staying persistent and just following up and keep them, you know, keep on, you know, moving forward and give them what they want and, and keep pushing. And what ends up happening is it's sort of up to you, you apply to the commission core, but then it's sort of up to you to find a position. So that's the challenging part is to find the position and almost all the incoming positions right now are in the Indian Health Service, even though we have positions all across the nation and other different agencies like HRSA and you know CMS and FDA, the incoming position that you come into when you're first starting in the, in the Commission Corps would be in one of either the Indian Health Service, the Bureau of Prisons, or the Immigration um, Service. And the reason why is the skills that you learn in being in those positions, because later on, there's going to be deployments and they, they need people to be jack of all trades and they have these other skill sets and you need that frontline skill set of, of, of that you get as an officer in, in those, in those positions, in, in those agencies. So, especially if you go somewhere remote. So. Yeah, that's interesting because I do feel like I hear a lot of people that enter the public health service start with the Indian Health Service. Um, and so that's really interesting. I I didn't know too much about that. And, you know, one thing that, that people might kind of be tipped off right off the bat are the the titles and kind of the, the whole ranking system. Um, tell us a little bit more about, you know, how that that part of the public health service and, and why that is? Oh, you asked really good questions, by the way. This is really good. So we use the same as the Navy ranks. We're one of the seven uniform services. You've probably heard the Army, Navy, Air Force, uh, Marines, You've uh, U.S. Space Force, the Coast Guard, um, NOAA, you know, the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, so, and then the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. So we're one of, how many was that, eight or not? Eight, we're one of eight uniform services. And we use the same ranks as the Navy. Our uniform, part of the uniform kind of looks like the Navy uniform, and then part of it looks like the Coast Guard uniform. When we're deployed, we look like we're, we're in the Coast Guard, but we're for our service dress blues. So like if you go to pharmacy meetings, you see everybody in their dark jackets with their mm -hmm. dark um, pants or skirt. That's, that's the service dress blue. And we have several other uniforms too, but those, that one is the primary one we have. And then when we're deployed, we have a, a blue uniform that looks like the Coast Guard. So the ranks start with, for anybody that's been in the military, it starts with, you know, lieutenant, lieutenant commander, command, uh, lieutenant commander, then commander, then captain. And then above the captain, it would be rear admiral. And then it goes up. And our, who heads us up, there's about 6,000, over 6,000 
commission corps officers of all different disciplines and there's about 12 a little over 1200 right now back when i was there there was over 1300 pharmacists and i think they're trying to to increase the number of officers right now so that's why they've opened up the application um, lines to do that but the uh, the what ends up what ends up happening is this there's 13 1300 of them and they're kind of scattered all over in the, all the different agencies and they they make up like physicians there's nurses there's dietitians i'm just saying some of the there's veterinarians engineers there's 11 different categories and then pharmacists of course are one of them two scientists so the whole team of different um, disciplines that are needed to manage a public health crisis we we have them and some of these people have been in the military prior they have prior military service and they are just so smart that is the one thing I am continually over impressed with is that these officers they're like they're they're just smart and they're well they've had a lot of different experiences and they're it's a certain type of personality too because they're always trying to grow and improve and learn something new and that's sort of like the attitude that most of the officers have uh you know they have this always continually learning and and anyway it's good it's it's awesome that's why there's that's why everybody that gets in once they get in they're hooked and they want to stay for a career because you're around these amazing people all the time well that's hey you're doing some good recruiting for them oh and there's there's really great great benefits apparently too um so yeah um okay and but to get into one of the agencies like a HRSA or FDA, you don't necessarily have to be in the public health service, but these public health service um, pharmacists or nurses or physicians are also embedded in all of the different agencies. And when there is like a na like a national disaster or something like a hurricane or, or something else, then um they're deployed, as you've mentioned, to really help with those kinds of crises um, or I guess any other kind of uh, maybe, you know, like what we're in right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, you're exactly right. So let's just say like at the FDA, we have, I would say there's a, most of the officers of the pharmacy officers are in the Indian Health Service. Number two is the FDA. There's quite a few, hundreds in the in the FDA, but you can be a pharmacist and work in the FDA. You don't have to be a commissioned officer. You can be a civil servant. It's just a different personnel service, if that if that kind of makes sense. And because we're in uniform services, we have different rules to follow. So when we do need, we work side by side with all these other different personnel systems. If I worked in Indian Health Service, I could be working at a tribal facility so there's tribal employees so it's just a different personnel system and we have a different set of rules and you're right when we're deployed when we there's an emergency and they need officers um, to employ and they're looking for certain skill sets then they then those those people that are officers could get pulled up pulled out too however like you look at cdc and and they will deploy cdc officers CDC civil servants too, you know, they assign them to, for certain things too. You don't always have to be a, a commissioned officer to be deployed. Okay. So let's talk about your pathway to the, the first, you know, being the first female pharmacist, uh, or chief pharmacist officer. And, um, 
what is what is that and what is you know that role and and tell us a little bit more about how um your leadership pathway to that well first of all it's not a path that that's a, that's the first time someone's asked me this that way by the way so this is not a path that that i would say any of us that have ever been in this position any of the chief pharmacist officers ever say, oh, this is what I want to be when I grow up. It, what, happen, mm -hmm. what happens is it was just in the right place at the right time. And th several of the people that were in leadership positions encouraged me. Say They said, Pam, you know, we're sort of trying to eye who's going to be in this next position. You know, would you succession even be, plan. yeah, it was succession planning. Would you even be interested? And guess what my first answer is? No way. So, mm -hmm. you know, and it's like, I, I can't, cause I followed Admiral, uh, Rear Admiral Scott Guyerson and I thought, oh my, yeah. oh, I can't follow him. But what happened is, you know, the, after I visit, you know, you make it your own, you can decide. So I had plenty of time to think about it. I had about a year and a half to kind of think, okay, if I was going to do this, then if I chose to, if I get selected, what would I do? And I had plenty of time to kind of think about what I would do. And I knew at that time that there had not been a female in that role. And so there's about 1300 officers. And so even ahead of time, I was thinking, you know, I, I would meet a lot of women. I was just really fortunate because I had awesome mentors. That's actually why I even considered it. I had really good mentors, both men and women that I knew were going to be on my right with me the whole step of the way. I use them all the time. I'm not afraid to ask, what should I do here? What should I do there? And they influenced me <laughs> so much. So I had this, um, I had these values or whatever that were pretty well set, you know, pretty well set. And I had a husband and family that were 100% behind me. So it, it's kind of like the stars lined up. That's actually what it was. So the, um, and I, and I was open to people's advice and open to people's like opinions and how to approach things and strategies. So the current, the previous CPOs were, helped me a lot. Um, so then when I came on, when I came on, that was actually one of the things I had women come up to me and they go, Pam, so tell us if they asked similar question, what did you do? And I didn't do anything. And so finally we rounded and we got together and we started visiting and I started li just listening to what they were doing and what they were trying for. And I realized at that point, we need to re-steer this because people were trying to get somewhere. And actually, that's not what it's about. It's about the mission. It's about, it's about, it's about having a passion and working towards that. But you also have to do it in a smart way. And you don't just do things to do things. You do things that are strategic and that, that they're going to actually add value to you as a human being a little bit. So I, I'm not going to take on this project and be doing it forever. I'll, I'll do it. I'll learn it. I'll make an impact. I'll change. I'll improve it. But then I'll move on to something else. So part of it was just an attitude about how to approach, how to approach things and what, what to dive into. And for me personally, I always dive into what seems to be the hardest thing that no one wants. I have found that's a niche. That's my niche. Mm -hmm. Whoever doesn't want to do it, I'll do it because I'm not even worried about them anymore. Whatever is impossible is it's I've done it enough and it sounds terrible. My daughter would go, mom, don't talk like that. But it's what happens is you sort of like you get into it and then you sort of own it and you like get passionate about it. And I'll give you an example. Um, 
the one thing when I was in the Indian Health Service, no one wanted to do. We have to implement pharmacy billing. Oh, that's like the worst thing. I'm a clinical pharmacist. I'm not going to do it. Nobody, I don't want to do billing. I don't want to do billing. And so yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't really want to do it either. Nobody wants to do it. All right, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, you dive in the same thing. I ran cross country and, or excuse me, I ran track. I signed up for track. I went in there and of course I'm going to do this. I want to do the fast races, you know, the shorter races. Right. We don't, we need some people over here doing long distance. Nobody signed up for this. All right, I'll go over there and do it. You know, and then I've, yep. you know, it's, so that's, that's my whole life has always been, you know, jumping in because it needs to be done. If it's part of the mission, you know, you're trying to move a direction. I didn't mind. So anyway, I kind of got sidetracked a little bit, but we started women groups and they, we started these. Um, I loved it. It was like one of my favorite group of people. So we started these groups and we talked about things and about families and about just how to work this out. When you have young children, it is hard. And I'll be honest with you in my career, I took a back seat when my kids were little. I did not do any mm-hmm. leadership. I was like, hey, I'm going home. We're going to spend time with the family. It's all about family time. But I knew if I ever wanted to, I could also mm-hmm. always pop back up. But, you know, I, I wasn't involved. I didn't even go to pharmacy meetings. I just, it's family. So I did that twice in my career. I went off the off the grid for a while, and then I popped back up later. Oh, everything that you're saying is really resonating because I'm a new mom and um, I'm also very passionate about women in leadership mm-hmm. and um, just uh, released a book on that. So I'd compiled some um, past interviews that I've had over the past three years of some some female leaders. Um, if I get to do another one or do something else, I'll have to be able to include your story since I'm just now getting to connect with you. But um, yeah, I, I think that it is important to um, kind of, you know, help uh, bring up, you know, if if you've got, you know, women that have, have become leaders like yourself, it's so great to see that you're looking to give back and like helping to kind of, um, you know, grow and, and, and mentor that next generation and to really um, highlight role models and, and mm-hmm. women who have done um, some interesting things. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, I've got great female and male mentors. Um, and yeah, it's not always about like, oh, you've got to cut, got that eye on the prize of like, I want to be a seat director mm-hmm. of pharmacy or I want to be this. It's, you know, you've got to kind of put in the hard work that nobody else wants to do. So those are all really great points that you've made. And I, to be honest with you, it was everything I ever did. And I can say this honestly, and you can ask my whole family, everything I've done is fun. It actually has never been work for me because I like get into it. You get into it so much. It's fun. So. Mm, yes. And, and the point about family, okay. because, you know, I've, I feel like I've been so career driven and, um, you know, I feel like I'm starting a little later, but not, not too late on having, having family time. But yeah, I, th- I mean, you just have to kind of think about it in seasons. And so, you know, maybe I'm entering a season where I'm going to be able to spend more time with, with our family and our baby. Um, but yeah, pharmacy is such a great, um, career option that you can always kind of 
turn it back on and, and turn it down a little bit whenever you're ready to have more time and, and commit more professionally. Yeah. So um, one thing I'll just tell you too, even when our kids were little and as you, and as you'll experience the same thing too, when, as they start getting older and getting involved in activities, of course, my husband and I, we were involved, we were involved parents and everything. But I remember there was a part in my life where I was, you know, where we, where I was, I got involved in 4-H with them. You know, we did 4-H where we did the animals and all the 4-H things, but I got, we were, I was the main leader for that. So here I was, I was not involved in pharmacy organizations, but I wasn't involved in pharmacy, but I was super involved in the community. So I was very, very active, but you know what the skill set I learned during that time how to leadership skills. how to inspire yes. and move get people to volunteer and how to get yes. move those groups and uh, so the leadership skills I actually learned more probably in that than I did ever in pharmacy because I had they were volunteering how do you get everybody mm-hmm. engaged so yes 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 um that's so interesting um so well I keep talking about that for much longer, but, um, to kind of get back to, um, I guess, you know, what are, were some of the, the takeaways and things that you've got such a great experience within the federal government? What were some of your, your takeaways from that time at, at HHS? So there are a couple of times, uh, I'm going to just say those, like the, the networking and the relationships, so even the relationships when I first came into the service and still the same physicians, the people that are, if they're, you know, still all around and are still alive and everything they're they, I'm still friends with all those people to this day. So that networking people move around, Oh, you were at so-and-so. Yeah. I worked with you. Those relationships last forever. So that's one thing I learned. Another thing that probably a takeaway for, I'm going to say for pharmacists and pharmacy organizations is what I learned from being on the other side, being on the government side is yikes, pharmacy, where are you? You need to be at the table here. That's actually like, where is pharmacy? You know, and I couldn't Uh really, it's when I was on that side, I was wondering where everybody was. And Uh so I really got a good feel for how, I'm going to say the other side thinks, if that makes sense. When I say the other side, the government thinks, how the mm-hmm. p- politicians think, and yeah. so, and how they're going to react. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I've noticed, you know, we, and I'm just going to say this, so uh, they'll come in, we need to make this change. You know, we need pharmacists to be involved in this when this is when they're talking to like CMS, but what they really need to do, the approach needs to be, you got to bring in all the stakeholders too, because the first thing that's going to happen when I'm listening to this, if I'm listening to this request, okay, what are the physicians going to say? What are this other group going to say? So if you kind of bring all that together, the package in, it's going to be go a lot better because there's always several sides to the story and it's not just one person's opinion. So anyway, the other thing I learned is that we really have an opportunity to influence policy and rather than wait and react to policy that's come out, we should be really proactive up front. So, mm-hmm. so we, and we should do it ahead of time before the fall policy is even drafted. So this is like right now, this period in time, right now when we have a change of administrations is when we should be actually getting in there right now and influencing 
and trying to make some of these changes before somebody comes up with a policy and then they put it out for us to react. So we got to get in way sooner. So I've learned that. Mm -hmm. And so of course, you know, a little bit what I'm doing then probably, but um, uh, having one voice would be helpful. Everybody groups has a different angle. Mm -hmm. We need to be a little bit noisier. And so, so there's no more where is pharmacy. And one thing I heard that made an impression on, on me and it's, it still haunts, not haunts me, but it, I think about it all the time. <laughs> when, you talk, yeah. when you talk to somebody like in a high leadership position, if what you do is so good, how come not everybody's, how come the plans, how come everybody's not coming in screaming for it, asking for it? And then I go, hmm, good point. Good point. So, so relationships, collaboration, those are all really critical. They mean more than anything. Now, the, on the positive side, I see so much great work right now by the all the pharmacy groups, the organizations, the schools, the just every group is out there. It's really been been neat to see how everybody's come together for the pandemic and working hard and we have a common mission. And I just think we just need to keep propelling this, um, you know, all the way through past pan We should le leverage all this good, good collaboration that's going on and make something of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, I resonate with all of those points that you've made as well. But um, yes, right now with the the COVID-19 vaccinate with the immunization, um, I think that, you know, some of the pharmacy associations and, and other groups have done a fabulous job of getting in um, and proving, you know, the importance of pharmacists to administer vaccines and, you know, the government, you know, um, administration has already um, developed some partnerships with several of the large chain retailers like CVS and Walgreens and Kroger, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Yeah, so the, I, forget. Well, I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna say that the group that I've been helping. Remember, I'm the sort of always helping make sure that everybody's recognized the independents because they're the ones. Oh, that, yeah, of course, right. of course. Absolutely. Not to leave any yeah. independence out because they, of course, um, are doing that hard work too and have a lot of great relationships with um, long-term care facilities. And, you know, they're, people are going to know and trust their, their independent pharmacies too. So yes, all of those groups are going to be very, very important. Not to leave anyone out. Um, but it is good to, to be able to scale large footprints um, when we're, uh, possible. Um, so yeah, so I think, think, yeah, you capitalizing on the COVID-19 importance of pharmacists vaccinating is really great. Um, what are some of the other things that you're kind of seeing or that you're excited about to be working on for 2021? So, so what I yeah, thank you for asking that too. So what I'm going to do what I was working on before COVID and then COVID-19 and then it sort of got a little derailed and I'll go back on that again is really trying to help out and leverage uh, just some of the relationships that I have and understanding how it works some of the policy related to uh, reimbursement. So like for pharmacists. So and then of course public health you know, you know, working at states to make sure the pharmacists can really provide these services and get reimbursed for it. And not just the product, get them reimbursed also for the, you know, for the actual visit piece of it. 
And then the other piece that goes with this, which is something you're going to start seeing right now, I'm starting to put all this package together because I was so familiar with IT, is really trying to do this big push towards interoperability. One of the things we need is we need to be able to no more faxes and hand papers and things like that. We need to do interoperability. So ha having to get, having to like provide input on this to how do we drive this? How do we get it so it's easier for folks to, to adopt this? So you're going to be seeing that because right now we're just starting to put together the package for this about like, how, what's the strategy going to be? How are we going to do this? People are doing it already. And what we've learned is telling those stories, is it, it, but getting it to another level. Because I'm still hearing a lot of faxing and paper pushing. And we need to connect more so that physicians, we can chat with them, we can chat with the patients, all doing this, doing IT and not necessarily with paper anymore. So. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's one of the most exciting things that I'm looking forward to in the future is really being able to leverage technology. Um, but we've got, you know, a ways to go with, with getting everything um, connected or, or interoperable. And um, the Center for Interoperability is actually in Nashville. I haven't had the chance to get to, to spend any time there or, or get, uh, but I think that it is kind of exciting that it's in Nashville where um, I'm located. But there's so many healthcare organizations and companies um, in Nashville. So um, maybe there'll, there'll be some exciting things oh, coming forth from that. And one other thing that I'm doing, this is my, my fun thing to do is our daughter and her friend, she's a illustrator. So we're working on this. We decided, I started a publishing company. We started a publishing company. My husband's helping too. Yeah. And we're, we're, okay. we're writing, we're author, we're writing uh, children's books. So we have our first book, right now and it'll be out next spring and so it's about hiking and all of them have to do with some kind of adventure in them and so we're real excited about about that coming out so um be watching for it <laughs> okay well do you have a title a working title yet for the hiking book or yes um, yeah it's Al okay. it's alice and jack hike the Ca grand canyon so that's what it's about and it's about um two children and it's just it's really about the journey getting ready for it and how to get ready for the hike and then the second half is about the actual hike and what they have to overcome and they hike down to the bottoms of the canyon mm -hmm. very good well um i'll have to check those out with having a, a new little one we'll be reading some books about um you know life lessons and and things that we can apply for that so we'll send you one good. we'll send you a book <laughs> <laughs> awesome well you just have so many um different kind of you know still have lots of irons uh burning and and going uh which is exciting